Hello and welcome to ILTV Zion News and the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, terror group Al-Shabaab blames their attack in Kenya on the recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The head of Israel's Bar Association is arrested on charges of trading sexual favors for judicial appointments. And an incredible Israeli rescue organization is honored for its global impact. At least 21 people, including a police officer, have been confirmed killed. 28 were hospitalized and 19 are still considered missing following the devastating terror attack on a Nairobi, Kenya luxury hotel. Additionally, the Somali-based Islamist terror group Al-Shabaab has since claimed responsibility for the Tuesday assault at the Dusit D2 hotel complex. And two suspects have also been arrested for aiding the terror group. Then I tried to call my wife. The phone was unanswered. I texted her, asked her, babe, are you okay? Are you safe? There was no reply. Then five minutes later, Rosia called that your has been shot and we rushed her to Kenya hospital. I was actually doing a presentation when the explosion went off. Um, I think I, I don't have words. I just say thank God that you are okay. I think that's all. It sounded like um, the way a tire would burst, back, like ten, 10 of them. 10 tires busting at the same time, so it was so loud. Yeah, and then there was a lot of confusion. Of course, people were trying to run towards the gate, but then I saw everyone who was running towards the gate was coming back from the gate, now heading to this other opposite direction. Yeah, so from where I was, we just closed the doors, and then gunshots were just being spread all over. Um, you know, from the top, I think they went to the top floor, and then decided spring bullets. But after the dust had settled, Al-Shabaab released yet another surprise in that they claimed the attack was in response to United States President Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. It's not yet clear how the two are at all related, however, as there isn't any clear connection between the hotel and Israel or the United States. In fact, according to Inspector General Joseph Bionet, of the 21 confirmed victims, 16, including the police officer, were Kenyan, three were of uncertain African nationality, and the last two were British and American, respectively. The American citizen, Jason Spindler, was only later revealed to be Jewish by Chabad in Kenya and a survivor of the 9-11 attacks in New York by his brother. Though according to reports, he was in Nairobi with his own company to advance plans on a mini power grid project for remote locations. The attack began around 3 p.m. local time Tuesday the 15th when armed members of the terror cell threw explosives at vehicles in the parking lot outside the lobby. Then one terrorist entered the lobby and blew himself up, and reports in CCTV footage appears to also show at least four gunmen walking around and firing. Sporadic shooting and explosions were reported all the way to around 7 a.m. Wednesday before security forces finally ended the siege. As Commander-in-Chief, I want to commend the quick and effective response by all our fighting teams for neutralizing all the terrorists involved in the attacks. We have dealt with the threat decisively and shown our enemies and the world that we as a country are ready to deal with any threat to our nation. I also take this opportunity to commend the civilians who who looked after one another for every act of evil that led to injury yesterday. There were dozens of acts of compassion, overflowing patriotism, and individual courage. Over 700 civilians were evacuated to safety from the compound since the start of the attack through the early hours of this morning. 
The body of 21-year-old Israeli student Aya Masawe from the northern Israeli Arab town of uh, Baka al-Garbiya was found murdered and partially nude Wednesday morning outside a shopping mall in the Australian suburb of Bundura in Melbourne. This was a horrific attack. This, this was an absolutely horrendous, horrific attack inflicted on, on a completely innocent young woman who was a visitor to, to our city. And the suspected criminal circumstances of her death are now under investigation. But what we do know already is that the young woman was a student on a year-long exchange program at La Trobe University nearby. Pedestrians discovered her body close to 7 a.m., less than 100 meters from the tram station. And according to The Guardian, Aya's uncle Rami Masawa confirmed that Aya was on a video call with her sister at the time of the attack. Apparently, the phone had fallen during the assault, but the sister, quote, heard the voices over the phone, end quote. Additionally, Masawa's uncle also told ABC News that he was in shock and that just the day before the murder, his wife had mentioned that they should visit Australia because it was very safe and very nice. Now, as for the state in which Masawa was found, despite her being partially stripped, authorities are still not confirming reports that the assault was sexual in nature. That being said, police indicated that sexual offenders are, quote, in active line of inquiry, end quote, and that pieces of evidence left by the assailant were found at the scene, including a baseball cap and a T-shirt. So police are confident that they will be able to track down the perpetrator. And meanwhile, Israeli diplomats and the Foreign Ministry's Department for Israelis Abroad are already working to bring Masawa's body home for burial. Breaking news today, the head of Israel's Bar Association, Efi Naveh, has just been arrested in a major scandal where he's accused of trading sexual favors for influence in judicial appointments. Naveh was arrested Wednesday night along with a judge and wife of another judge, all of whom are suspected of involvement in the scheme, though only Naveh's identity has yet been revealed. Additionally, Naveh has previously been indicted recently on separate charges of defrauding an airport customs checkpoint by attempting to sneak a female companion through security. Uh, But now this investigation is into allegations of demanding sexual acts from the wife of a magistrate's judge in return for promoting a judge to district court uh, a few years ago. The wife has denied the allegations, however, claiming that the timeline of her contact with Naved doesn't add up to the charges and that at any rate her husband was not given the district job. Regardless, the entire appointments mechanism has now been called into question and most if not all the members of the Judicial Selection Committee will now be required to testify. This includes Supreme Court President Esther Hayut and Justice Minister Ayala Chaked, who together denied the allegations against them in a rare joint statement. The statement argued, for example, that during Chaked's tenure on the committee, 334 judges were appointed and only two are under suspicion. Opposition leaders aren't buying it, though, with M.K. Shelly Yachimovich, among others, calling the whole selection system corrupt. She added that Naveh is a man incapable of telling right from wrong and that Chaked would not be able to just blow off their ties. Joining us now for more on the scandal in the Judicial Appointments Committee is legal advisor to the Israeli Movement for Governability and Democracy, or Meshilut, Attorney Simcha Rotman. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us again. Thank you for first having of all. me. All right, so this is, this is kind of a big crisis here in the country because it's bringing uh, a cloud, really, over the entire judicial process. What's, what's your initial reaction to these allegations? I have to say, the process is corrupt. The process is corrupt not because what we learned today or yesterday. The process is corrupt because Israel, we just released a research showing that among 42 the countries around the world, Israel and India, are the two the two the only two countries around the world with this mechanism. And this mechanism basically takes the power of appointment away from the elected officials and give it to a secret committee that has discussion, no one knows, no one sees the protocols. That's like an invita- open invitation to, to, to corruption. And if we want to change that, we need to change the way we appoint judges. And the way we appoint judges is bad. I think Shaked did a tremendous 
amount of good work in the current flawed system. She couldn't change the system, basically because one of the members of the coalition, Moshe Kahlon, said, put a veto on it and said, we won't be able to change that. This, but this system must be changed. And the power of appointing judges has to go to the parliament, like all other countries. So, okay, so... Speaking of allowing, you know, elections or elected officials in order to choose these uh, appointments, you know, in the United States and, and other similar systems, they they have to run. They they're elected even by people in, in uh, you know in smaller even election local, even, local elections. Yeah, even local election is better than what we have. But the, but the argument against that, you know, playing devil's advocate, the argument against that is that it forces judges to spend more time campaigning than they are in the, in the courtroom. So I'm not offering, and also in the U.S., it's not the federal system, it's only in the states. I'm not offering to have an open election to Supreme Court judges mm-hmm. or to ju- judges. That's not the offer. The offer is like most of the countries of the world, to have the executive branch offer the name and it be confirmed or appointed by the legislator. That's the open, that it takes the corruption away when it's open, when there is an open hearing. We see all the allegations we had in the U.S. against Judge Kavanaugh. We see that it came up, it dealt with, and be done with. That's the way to deal with a judge's appointment. And what we see today, the sad stories we see today, is because the, the system in Israel has all this appointment in secret. People, even judges, don't know why they were denied appointment. Even judges don't know why they were appointed. It's secret. They don't, the candidates themselves don't know when the, what, what are the reasons that they are appointed or not. It has to change, and I hope this, this uh, sad story will bring a change, and in the next, next Knesset we'll see a change in the system. All right, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see uh, whether or not somebody will bring that up in, in the next Knesset and what kind of support it gets. Until then, thank you so much for coming. Thank in. you. White House officials are clamoring to hush reports of allegedly leaked details in the United States' Middle East peace plan today, following Israeli Reshet 13 TV reports Wednesday night. As previously thought, Reshet claims that the supposed deal of the century will include a proposal for an independent Palestinian state in 85 to 90 percent of the West Bank, with a capital in East Jerusalem. But what may have come as a surprise is that the state does not include many holy sites the PA claims as Muslim. American Middle East peace envoy Jason Greenblatt responded to the Reshet report on Twitter, however, writing that it was simply not accurate. He then added that, quote, speculation about the content of the plan was not helpful and that very few people on the planet know what's in it. Regardless, neither officials in Israel nor the PA seemed pleased. As has often been said, PA President Abbas's spokesman Nabil Abu Rudaini responded that any peace plan not based on a Palestinian state along the 1967 borders, with all of East Jerusalem as its capital, will fail. And Ministers Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Sheket of the New Right Party claimed that they'd refuse to join any government coalition that would be willing to accept such a deal. Netanyahu, on the other hand, hasn't responded yet to these so-called rumors. But in the past, he has indicated that he'll approach whatever deal the United States unveils with an open mind. Just days after the Iranian Payam satellite was launched and failed to reach orbit, Iranian President Rouhani on Wednesday announced that a second satellite, Dosti, will still be launched uh, in the coming months. This despite heavy criticisms from the West, as many believe that the new satellites are a part of a larger scheme towards advancing Iranian ICBMs. Rouhani reportedly explained to state media that, quote, the remaining problems are minor and will be resolved in a few months, end quote. And previously, Iran has consistently stated that these launches, as well as those of other missile tests, are all peaceful in nature. In fact, Iran claims that the two satellites, Payam and Dusti, are for creating a precise network of imaging satellites. But many in the West have decried the tests as violations of international agreements, barring Iran from testing ICBMs, which are capable of delivering nuclear warheads. 
The United States and Israel were among the first to call out the Ayatollah regime regarding this fact, but others, including France's foreign ministry on Wednesday, have also condemned the Payam launch, calling it and the Iranian ballistic program as a whole a source of concern for the international community. United States Secretary of State Pompeo also reiterated that the rocket used to launch the satellite earlier this week was, quote, virtually identical and interchangeable with those used in ballistic missiles, including intercontinental ballistic missiles, end quote. Still, despite the evidence and criticism, Iran remains adamant that they are not in pursuit of nuclear weapons. Friday, January 18, marks another year since the controversial death of the Argentinian prosecutor Alberto Nisman, who for the last decade leading up to his murder was dedicated to investigating the 1994 bombing of the Amia Jewish Center in Buenos Aires. Well, yesterday, the Israeli president, Reuven Rivlin, met with Nisman's mother, Sarah Garfunkel, and ILTV's Joy Gavijon has all the details. Hi, Aaron. Yes, so as you said, tomorrow will mark the fourth anniversary of Nisman's death and his mother, Sarah Garfunkel, who is here in Israel to participate in a memorial event for her son, met with the Israeli president. Now, Rivlin uh, welcomed her at his residence in Jerusalem for a private meeting with no press allowed. During the meeting, the president said that uh, it was an honor to meet with her and he showed his admiration for Nisman's work, telling Garfunkel, your son was a hero. Well, I can only imagine the emotion for her, yeah. uh, you know, especially getting the president's recognition like this, uh, which might at least make it feel like Nisman's work wasn't in vain. Exactly, yes. Let's remember that, as you said, uh, Nisman spent many, many years investigating the bombing uh, terror attack against the Amia Jewish Center in Argentina that took place in 1994 and left 85 dead and around 300 wounded. An attack for which the Iranian-backed Hezbollah terror group is blamed for. Exactly, and in 2015, Nisman formally accused the then Argentinian president, Cristina Kirchner, and some of her political allies of covering up for former Iranian officials that were charged with being involved in the attack. So, because of this, Nisman was set to uh, present the evidence he collected against the former president to Argentinian lawmakers. But the thing is that only hours before that, on January 18, 2015, Nisman was found dead in his apartment. Which was exactly four years ago. Exactly. Uh, Okay, so tell me a little bit more about the memorial service. Okay, so tomorrow morning, the Keren Kayemet Lisael organized an event at the Ben Shemesh Forest, particularly at the Israel-Argentina Friendship Park. Uh, during the event, the organizers will uh, inaugurate a monument in Nisman's memory. It's basically a big white stone that, that stands next to other two similar monuments, one remembrance of the victims of the Amia terror attack in 1994, and the second one uh, to honor the victims of the Israeli embassy bombing that took place two years before. For that in 1992. Also, because we're very close to the festivities of Tuvishbat, uh, where we celebrate life and nature, the service will include a moment to plant trees, also in Nisman's memory. All right, so, and who is invited to the memorial, which sounds beautiful, by the way? Yeah, uh, the event is open to the public with previous registration, and we know that the president of the Knesset, Yuli Edelstein, will, will be there, uh, together with the Argentinian ambassador to Israel and the head of the AMIA. And, of course, Alberto Snizmo's uh, mother, Sonia Garfunkel, who is here specially for that. All right, well, I uh, can't wait to see it. And we'll talk about it next week, I think. So thank you for your report, Joy. Of course, Aaron. One of the most common fears for women who suffer from breast cancer is the idea of going through the traditional mastectomy, an invasive procedure that is commonly used to remove the cancer's tumors, but also often results in the loss of breast tissue. Well, now, after more extensive clinical trials, Israeli company IceCare is averting this issue with their minimally invasive procedure based on cryoablation therapy. 
IceCure's treatment had amazing results in the latest clinical trials, with 146 patients across 18 United States hospitals and clinics going through the procedure, and only one of them had a case of recurrence. With this new treatment, the doctors are able to ablate or remove the breast cancer tumors by literally freezing them in a session that takes just 20 to 30 minutes. But that's not all. The procedure is not just faster, it's nearly painless. It's fantastic. I don't have words to express to you. What a relief it is that they didn't have to cut me. The worst nightmare for me is that they have to cut me. Anywhere. (laughs) Especially not my breast. Now the procedure for the cryoablation therapy is very simple. The doctor inserts a metal probe into the breast which then freezes the targeted tissue, something that only leaves a tiny scar which heals in just a few days. And the important fact is that we have a technology that enables to freeze only the tip, the last two, four or five centimeters of the probe to a temperature of minus 170 degrees while the entire shaft of the probe stays at room temperature which means that while you will decide to ablate uh, some uh, malignant tumors, uh, you will kill only the tumors that are in direct contact with the probe and in its proximity. The path of entry, which is uh, in contact with a cells that you do not want to kill, will stay at room temperature or will stay at a human temperature. Also, the requirements for this new treatment are a lot simpler than the ones needed for the traditional mastectomy, making it more accessible to the patients. All the doctors need to perform the surgery are the IceCure's device, an ultrasound, and local anesthesia. This is why it can actually be done in any clean room, too, as IceCure's Vice President of Quality Assurance, Elizabeth Sadka, explained. She said that their technology allows breast cancer to be treated in a much better way that avoids a costly surgery, pain, and a lifelong scar. For the first time, there is a company that says breast cancer, some breast cancer, specific breast cancer, could be treated uh, without surgery, only with a minimal invasive that is very, very similar to a biopsy. You just enter a needle in the middle of your tumor, you freeze it for a few minutes, you get this needle out, and your treatment is done. No need for surgery. This is complete revolution. And this is the first step. IceCure's CEO, Eyal Shamil, also told Reuters that the cost for their treatment is somewhere around $4,000, or about a third of the average cost of a mastectomy, continuing that with a portable ultrasound and their device, you could treat people literally anywhere. For now, though, IceCure's new therapy is currently only available for patients in Israel, the United States, Japan, Mexico, and select European countries. Israeli organization Hatzalalu Legvulot, or Rescuers Without Borders, was founded in 2000 in response to the terrors of the Second Intifada. And since day one, it's been providing emergency medical support, training, staff, and much, much more. So in honor of the organization's 18 years of tireless and thankless work, founder and president of Rescuers Without Borders, Ariel Levy, was presented the Global Impact Award Wednesday night in Tel Aviv. Now, Rescuers Without Borders has also recently been honored for their work both by MK and Justice Minister Ayelet Shaked and by human rights organization Im Tzu. But this latest award, presented in part by Israeli President Reuven Rivlin and Jewish agency head Isaac Herzog, puts the International Rescue Organization under new light. As Levy sat together on stage with the other award recipients, President Rivlin shared his reverence for those who sat behind him. The 
ואני יודע שהייתם עושים הכל גם בלי לקבל פרס. וגם היא קריאה ברורה לכל הגורמים הרלוונטיים להצטרף לעשייה. השילוב שבין הידע, הידע והטכנולוגיה הישראלים לבין ארגונים יהודיים בתפוצות ומחויבותם לתיקון עולם לצד רצון לשתף איתנו פעולה הם התשתית ליצירת השפעה גלובלית למען הטוב. Like with most things in his organization, however, Levy accepted the prize with humility and appreciation. And the director of development with Rescuers Without Borders, Natalie Sapinski, explains that indeed the workers are the most incredible part of the organization. Because these are men and women, the volunteers, are regular people living among us. I live in an area where there's volunteers. I never noticed who was actually driving those ambulances. Who helped me go to the hospital when I had a baby? Who helped my boy when he fell and broke his arm? I never really noticed. They don't really ask for attention. They don't stand out and say, look at me. They are regular mommies and daddies working day jobs. This is what they do on the side, but it's not on the side. It's always with them. They have these medical bags that are always with them. We don't have medical stations. We don't have big fancy ambulance stations. These bags are with these people day and night. With that said, it then makes sense that regardless of the work that's been done, much more is still needed. And Rescuers Without Borders has a lot more planned. היום אנחנו אוחזים ב-16 מדינות, ואני מקווה שעד שנה, עד סוף שנה הבאה נהיה ב-30 מדינות, כי כמה שיהיו יותר נציגויות ומתנדבים, כמה שיגיעו מהר בזמן שיש אסון טבע, או מלחמה, או מה שלא יהיה. בעצם הרעיון הוא פשוט, אנחנו בהתחלה הגענו לאסונות טבע, טיפלנו והלכנו. עם הזמן אמרנו, ללכת בלי להשאיר כלום חבל. הדרכנו אנשים מקומיים, ציידנו אותם בציוד רפואי מתקדם, והאנשים האלה עומדים... באיקון כל השנה בשביל להציל חיים. היה את אסון, את, ה, את הצונאמי של אירמה לפני כמה חודשים. המתנדבים שלנו מגואדלופ הגיעו לשם, לסן מרטן, תוך ארבע שעות. כל ה-NGO האחרים לקח להם שישה ימים להגיע. אבל אנחנו כבר היינו בסוף העבודה. זה הרעיון. כמה שיותר תחנות, כמה שיותר להגיע מהר, כמה שיותר להציל חיים. Now, if you're wondering what can be done to help out, aside from volunteering, the rescuers are also always in need of supplies. Yes, we, we always need equipment. We always need those medical bags. We always need more ways for the people to get around quickly. Um, the vehicles, the bags, the defibrillators. We need them. We always need them. We have new rescuers all the time. We have older ones who retire. New ones come and learn. The organization is growing. There are over a thousand rescuers just in Israel. It's an amazing organization. They always need support. And we, we welcome any support, any way people want to get involved. Fantastic. And now for our Hebrew word of the day, the head of Israeli organization Rescuers Without Borders has just been honored with a Global Impact Award. And so in honor of what the rescuers do, today's word is cherum, meaning emergency. 
Now, unfortunately, there's almost always an emergency situation or a matzav chirum somewhere around the world. But thankfully, groups like Zaka, United Hatzalah, Magen David Adom, and of course, Rescuers Without Borders exist. And although these organizations are committed to helping anyone in need, sometimes they too need some help themselves. So go online and see how you can help because zechirum, or it's an emergency. Now let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight should be partly cloudy and cool with a low of 53 or 12 degrees Celsius. Then the weekend is looking to be mostly the same with highs around 65 or 18 degrees Celsius.